I invite you now to take a Bible and to open it to the last book of the Bible, Revelation. We will be in chapter 5 primarily today. Revelation chapter 5. We're taking uh, June and July as a church family to consider what the scriptures say about the last things. Three big things under that heading, the return of Christ, judgment day, and eternity. So we're spending two parts on the return of Christ and two Sundays on judgment day and two Sundays on what the Bible says about eternity. And our home base for all of those is the last book of the Bible, Revelation. And uh, so last week we were in chapter one and now we are in chapter five. It says, then I saw in the right hand of him who is seated on the throne, a scroll written within and on the back sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven and on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song saying, worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals for you were slain and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God and they shall reign on the earth. And then I looked and heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders and the voice of many angels numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying, to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. And this will conclude our reading. If you're just joining us uh, this Sunday and if you're unfamiliar with the Bible or even in particular this last book, uh, this will come across to you as uh, interesting. It does even to people who've grown up with the Bible where uh, many times we're reading stories about individuals who are a lot like us and though they lived a long time ago, they're going through things that we can identify with and something different when we come to this book where we get these grand and beautiful visions from heaven to earth that sounds very much 
unlike things that we encounter on a normal basis and say, I've never seen anything like this on an ordinary Tuesday uh, or in different settings. And uh, it is unique in that way where uh, this is uh, visions that are being given to uh, the Apostle John to show him and lift up his spirit and to encourage him with just how great God is and the Jesus who he follows and who he would have seen up close and in person and would have heard him talk and would have seen how he interacted with other people. But in all of that experience of three years of being with Christ on earth, what most of the disciples were experiencing was a a veiling of the glory of God, that he did not try to shock anybody into following him. He tried not to overwhelm anybody with how glorious he is. And so he was relatable and accessible and humble. And anybody and everybody felt like they could come. The young and the old, the sinners and the saints, they could just talk to him. And God wants us to come to him. But at the same time as we come to him and learn more and more about who he is, we discover he's not just an ordinary person. (laughs) He is glorious and some of the disciples got a glimpse of this in an experience called the transfiguration uh, before Christ died on the cross. But now what the book of Revelation gives us time and again is these further visions and descriptions of the exalted Christ, how powerful he really is, how amazing he is that we should still want to come to him like people came to him when he walked around Galilee and Nazareth and in Jerusalem but we should realize even more the one to whom we're coming. And as this vision is given uh, in multiple ways, last week in chapter one, it was uh, a white-robed and white-haired and fiery-eyed and bronze uh, feet image that John got of the full strength and grandeur of the great high priest coming. Here we get this image of the victorious lamb who was slain and this amazing worship that's happening around the throne of God for this only one who is worthy. As we get these uh, powerful descriptions of Jesus, this is part of why this book becomes the last book in recorded scripture. It talks about the last things, but there's also a sense in which uh, from the moment Christ has risen from the dead, the Bible says we are in the last days because there's no one else to come. The Savior has come. There's no one more glorious. There's no one more beautiful. There's no uh, way or path that's better. This is the best it gets. And because it's the best it gets, it's the last that is offered to us. This is how it's described in uh, the book of Hebrews. If you want to turn in your Bible to the opening of the book of Hebrews, uh, you'll hear how this author summarizes the various ways God has spoken over time. He says, long ago, at many times, and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, and through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. 
And after making purifications for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. And that's where we'll conclude. So here, the author of the letter of Hebrews is saying, God has spoken in a variety of ways and to many different people. But in these last days, which is when that author is living until Christ returns, this is the message that we hold out to the world. This is the Savior who has come. We're not waiting for another one or a third plan or a different Messiah. It is the last because it is the best. He is the beautiful and glorious one that we proclaim. And so that now our responsibility is not to keep looking for another, but as followers of him to try in every way we can to heed the messages that he gave us and to follow the commands to go into all the world and tell others about him. And so in these last days, one of the things that we should be experiencing is that the kingdom is expanding. In these last days, uh, Jesus described the kingdom in one way as saying that it's really small when it comes, it's like the grain of a mustard seed, that you can barely see it when it gets started. But as it continues to grow and grow, it becomes bigger than anyone would have imagined. And he gives that as a picture to say, as he came in his first coming, and very few people knew what was going on and had a sense of how strong and how glorious this is. And for many people, they were kind of like, is this all that is? Are you really the one who's to come? Is, is this what we were so excited about? It started so small. But we don't measure its impact by how small it is in the beginning, but rather as we look over time and as it replicates and replicates and grows and grows, it becomes this reality that nobody can deny. That it's growing and expanding. And so Christ said to his own followers, the gates of hell cannot prevail against the kingdom. And so when he ascended into heaven, he told all of his followers to go into all the world and to make disciples of all nations. It's a strong command from our king who's going to be coming back that in these last days, he's given all of his followers instruction to go into all the world. And when we come to the book of Revelation, what we see is the reality that that is fulfilled because around the throne are people worshiping from every tribe and every tongue and every nation. And so this very small start to the kingdom in a hidden and out of way town and even when Jesus resurrected he revealed himself to his disciples by telling them to go back up towards the Sea of Galilee where again very few people would have seen their interactions with one another but he made clear to them this is going to start small but grow and grow and that they were to have a desire and a willingness to go from Jerusalem and to Judea and to Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth and he's promised them that they're on the winning team, that this is going to reach people from every tribe and tongue and nation. And so then when uh, John has this vision in the throne room of heaven, he sees people from every tribe and tongue worshiping and saying, worthy is the lamb who was slain. And so 
for all of us as Christ's followers who wonder when will the end come, when will the glorious king return, none of us knows the direct answer to that question. But part of the answer that Christians have always believed in is if he doesn't come today, or he doesn't come next week, or he doesn't come this year, it's because there's work to do. It's not just sort of an arbitrary, uh, he'll just decide one day, okay, today's a good day for it. (laughs) But as the reigning king, he's given a mission to his followers. And that he is working through them by his Holy Spirit to share the good news of the hope of the world to every tribe, tongue, and nation. So that we're not left to then say, well, if he's not given us the direct answer, we just don't know what we're supposed to do when we make it up on our own, but rather to say, if he has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, he wants to shine through you that light to other people so that this beautiful kingdom continues to expand. Now, some people hear those verses in Scripture, and then what they imagine is that the church will continue to expand in a way that it will just constantly get better and better and better. And then, if you think that everything just gets better, you get disoriented, one, when you experience conflict in the church, and also the continued brokenness of this world. And so... If you only listen to the verses of this strong and ever-expanding kingdom, if you've had a great week, you might be ready to say, okay, yeah, that's, I believe that because things are going good for me. I've actually had a great year and things are healthy for me and so I believe that. But if you've had heartache and pain and frustration in your experience, you say, I don't know how to interpret if ever-expanding means only getting better and better. And Jesus actually told a really simple parable about this kingdom that would be growing and growing, but that would also prepare us for the reality that there would be frustration and pain and heartache in it. He talked about uh, a, a garden being planted and someone coming in and intentionally planting weeds. But the gardener would not immediately separate the one from the other. Lest the good that was planted be disrupted. And so the sense of waiting and allowing things to grow together until the end, that the growth and the expansion that will take place will not simply be all good news and everything going well and everything getting better, but as the kingdom is expanding, there will also be increased conflict That's where we get another description of what will happen in the last days. So if you have a Bible, you can open to 2 Timothy chapter 3. Here's a a different description of something that will take place in these last days, in 2 Timothy chapter 3. If you're using a Bible in the pew, uh, this is page 936. It says, but understand this, that in the last days, there will come times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. 
That's a different description of these last days. And as Christians, part of our responsibility is to listen to and submit to everything that Scripture says and to hold these two things in tension. So we don't come and say, well, what do you believe? Do you believe the gates of hell cannot prevail and this kingdom will only get better and stronger? Or do you believe in the last days there will also be uh, what's described in other passages as a great falling away, as people who've turned to their own ways? Well, since they're both in Scripture, we believe that somehow those things will happen at the same time, that as the kingdom is expanding, actually the opposition is growing. That as the kingdom is expanding into all the world, there is an opposition that is growing. And sometimes that opposition is coming from within. As people uh, get a sense of something good going on, and they want the appearance of godliness, but they, want, but they deny its power, they might enter into the church and participate as members but in fact deny the actual power and and from whence it comes. They don't really follow the lamb that was slain. They have their own agenda and it's all those things that was described in 2 Timothy. And so what we skipped over in the book of Revelation from chapter chapter one to chapter five was a review of Jesus of seven churches. And for most of them, he has some harsh words that they have allowed within their own congregations many things over time to grow and develop that don't represent him that are actually abusive that are actually greedy that are all the things described in second timothy come out in some fashion in the seven churches described in revelation only two of them sort of get through with not too much critique but that's a reality that as the kingdom is expanding and growing there is opposition that comes as well And sometimes that opposition comes from within, where people claim the power uh, of the kingdom. They act as if they follow after the Lord, but they really deny its power. It really is still mostly about them and their agenda and not submitting to the God who made them and who saved them in Christ. But not only is the opposition growing in, uh, in that way, in the church going astray at times, but as later in Revelation it makes clear, uh, and other writings in the New Testament say, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but we wrestle against principalities and powers. And just like when Christ came the first time, it awakened this sort of opposition of the ultimate enemy, the devil, and demonic activity, we have every reason as Christians to believe again that in the return of Christ the second time, as we get closer and closer, that opposition too increases because there's an expiration date on evil. There is a limited time frame in which the ultimate enemy can work. And so just like a sort of scared animal is sensing it's caught in a trap and might not be able to do what it wants to do can become more fierce when afraid. We have every reason to believe that what the Bible describes as demons, as the devil and all that represents darkness in this world, as it senses its its own time is coming short as the return becomes nearer, that the opposition will Increase, And so as you read in the book of Revelation, as the judgments begin to be poured out, you get 
a significant uh, description of that kind of activity. And we believe that, that we don't just see one another and that that's all that there is. But behind everything we see are spiritual realities and forces, that there are angels and there are demons. There is good and there is evil. Now, for some, we can become so paranoid that there's an enemy around every corner that we don't know how to live an ordinary life, to trust that most of the people that we're interacting with care about us. But I don't know if you're like me, but if you're like me, my temptation is to generally not worry about too many things such that I downplay the reality of the principalities and powers that are at work. And I can just say, you know, life is life and it's hard for everybody and all kinds of things happen that don't make sense to us. And I can allow myself to not get too overwhelmed by the reality of the enemy. But if I'm gonna take scripture seriously, I have every reason to say, there is opposition to the king. And as that king prepares his glorious and triumphant return, that opposition will get stronger. And I have every reason to be humbled about that reality as anything else. To not assume that I'll be strong enough or even we together will on our own be strong enough for that. And so here, even as John gets this vision of a scroll, part of his grief comes because he realizes he can't open it and nobody else he knows can open it. That he's himself helpless unless he hears these words. Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And as then there's this description of all that are gathered around the throne in worship. The song that they sing is, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation, and you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Then verse 12, worthy is the lamb who was slain. So the vision that John has in this reality that while the kingdom is expanding, the opposition is growing, the lamb wins again. Uh, it was a helpful summary last week when it was shared that you could sum up Revelation by saying God wins. That's true. But part of what is being shared here is the reality that not simply will God win and we don't know how, but we've already seen him win and he's going to win again in the same way. The lamb will win again. And so just as Christ came and there was opposition to him, I mean, how else would you describe the wickedness of King Herod and the execution of innocent people in Bethlehem because the announcement had taken place that a new king had come? See, Scripture would say that's not just a bad leader. That's, that's wickedness. That's principalities and powers that would move in the heart of someone to execute innocent people in the town of Bethlehem. And yet every effort that the enemy tried to stop or prevent the work of Christ actually only was inverted so that 
more people came to believe in him, more people came to trust in him, more people came to say, I don't want to follow after anyone that would be abusive and destructive and all the things described in Second Timothy. I actually want to follow the lamb. I want to follow this person that anybody can come to who is expansive in his love, includes people who are often marginalized and shows them that he can make them clean. And as he continued to do that and the opposition continued to grow, it grew to the point that eventually they put him on a cross. And there again, in the mind of all of the enemies of our Savior, would have looked like victory, would have looked like conquering. And yet, that was the very means by which death itself was defeated. And if we believe that the lamb who was slain is worthy and the only one worthy to open the scroll, the one before whom all the nations and every creature in heaven and earth will bow. We can have that confidence that even though we believe we are a part of a kingdom that is growing and there will be opposition both from within and without, the lamb will win again. That whatever wickedness our God ultimately allows, whatever darkness permeates this world, he has made it such that it will always be self-defeating. It will never be victorious. And so even when it comes upon him, he will win. Later we get this description of two witnesses who are these powerful testimonies and the forces come against them. And there again, it seems like all of the opposition is to destroy them, but very much because the opposition comes on them, that it's within a few days that in their rising, it says many see the power of God and are converted. That's how our Savior has designed it to be. That we can follow after him and say that he is victorious, that we have work to do. If he doesn't come again tonight, this week, in 20 years, it's because he has stuff for us to be engaged in. He wants the message of the lamb to be shared with anybody and everybody who would listen so that they would stop investing their lives into what will ultimately fail and instead give their hearts over to what can grow and endure forever. And we can also be sober and awaken to the reality that in the last days, many will fall away. People will begin to go after their own sense of uh, lust or pride or greed. Opposition will come from without. Even as we just prayed for two people going back to a land that is incredibly hostile to the message. For Aaron and Renee to believe that you go in the name of a king who has already won and will win again. And that no opposition ultimately can thwart his plan. And that's where Paul, in summarizing the good news of the gospel at the end of Romans chapter eight, could say these things. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you 
for the good news that in our unworthiness, in our inability to understand the future, in our inability to bring about ultimate justice in this world, in our inability to bring about healing to so much that is broken, that you are the one who is worthy. That you are the one who can open the scroll and can unfold the events of this world so that people from every tribe and tongue and nation will sing the praises of your surprising victory as a slain lamb. Father, we pray that you would instill that in our own hearts to help us appreciate the beauty and the glory of it and that it would motivate us to the task that is before each and every one of us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.